0: Welcome to our third segment of this afternoon's program, and I do apologize for the late start. It is Sunday, the 19th of September, 2021. It's now 2.28 in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, in the Bahamas, there's been a change of government. Former Prime Minister Hubert Minnis and the party he leads, the Free National Movement, or FNM, has lost office to the Progressive Liberal Party, the PLP. Uh, PLP leader Philip Davis has been sworn in as the fifth Prime Minister of the Bahamas, Uh, The general election was on Thursday, September 16th, and outgoing Prime Minister Hubert Minnis conceded defeat in a phone call to Brave uh, shortly after 9 p.m. Philip Davis, uh, people call him Brave. Um, Now, what's interesting about the Bahamas is that for 24 years now, apparently, no prime minister has won a second term. Uh, They go in and out and in and out. Uh, some analysts have pointed to the current COVID-19 crisis and the uh, handling of it in the Bahamas and, of course, the, the economic impacts and unemployment that it has caused as the cause of the Free National Movement's defeat. Uh, but there may or may not be other reasons deeper than that. And to discuss it, we have invited a panel from the Bahamas to explain to us why the Hubert Minnis administration lost and what the Bahamians are looking for from their new government. Uh, so we'll ask why did Bahamians choose a new government and what are the new administration's goals? Uh, Joining us for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Mr. Matthew Aubrey. He, of course, has joined this program in the past. He's the Executive Director of the Organization for Responsible Governance in the Bahamas, and we're happy to have him with us. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Matthew Aubrey.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be back, and thank you for the invitation.
0: Uh, We have with us Mr. Ian Bethel-Bennett. He is an Associate Professor at the University of the Bahamas. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Bethel-Bennett. How are you doing? You're still muted, if you can hear me, you're still muted.
2: Yeah, good afternoon. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: And we're happy to have you. Uh, We have with us as well Dr. Ian Strachan. Uh, He's uh, campus president of the University of the Bahamas North, UB North. Uh, He's also a novelist, a poet, and a playwright. Uh, Happy to have you with us, Dr. Strachan. How are you doing this afternoon?
3: I'm good.
0: I'm good. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Stratton. I would uh, begin with you, if I could, just to get a view from you as to whether or not the results of the election were a surprise, or was it something that uh, analysts, uh, pollsters, had predicted? Uh, What what are your initial insights?
3: Uh, Um, I think most people. I spoke to, uh, expected it to be a closer race. I think um, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether, about how it would shake down. Um, there had been talk for many months, actually, that the prime minister would call a snap election. Um, and many false alarms about when that would happen. Um, so there's there's that part of it. However, um, as you pointed at the top of the segment, this follows a pattern. And so if you have observed the pattern um the logical uh thing to have expected would have been a victory by the progressive liberal party and that's exactly what we got mm.
0: uh and mr matthew aubrey uh y- your initial reaction or whether or not this is something that um, you think many people saw coming or a surprise result what's your view
1: i i thank you um and and i think i think uh dr strong said uh Said it well. I, I think this is to be understood as kind of a perfect storm, though. So many things were at play within this. Um, you know, the, the backdrop of it happening in a COVID environment where our COVID numbers uh, were particularly high, uh, with, uh, you know, having come through, uh, uh, you know, almost now two years of, of being under uh, a competent authority and the kind of civic reaction against that. Um, as as uh, Dr. Strong pointed out, our our ongoing history of uh, the Bahamian electorate voting out a, uh, an administration after one term, uh, rather than necessarily using their civic voice to vote in a group, I, I think that the the the, the emphasis was, uh, as evidenced by the overwhelming majority um, and a lot of new new newcomers in into the, the political ranks, uh, a push to excise the the, the prior. Um, uh, the prior government um and and i think it also then had clearly in some ways to do with the prospect of a of a snap election and and what and, and the tendency that 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 brings to vote on emotional more partisan lines versus policy driven uh, decisions
0: uh, and mr ian bethel bennett uh, your take on the result of the um the poll last week whether it was surprising or not
2: Um, Well, thank you. I agree with both Dr. Strawn and Mr. Aubrey because I think that we, given the track history, we could have seen this coming and the fact that, as Mr. Aubrey says, that we tend to vote out parties instead of voting in. We knew there was a lot of disquiet and a lot of upset and discontent with the way government had done things, especially to do with Dorian that came so soon before, so shortly before um, COVID that something, a big change like this was to be expected. But a lot of people, like Dr. Stratton said, expected it to be closer, expected more of a, an opposition to be kept in place. But you know, it didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, it's the, the idea that we are reacting to as opposed to creating action with our civil society organizations or the civic voice of the people.
0: And uh, coming back to you, Dr. Strawn, and I think I, I must apologize because um, based on our other two guests, I think I've been butchering your, your name. So I do apologize for that. Um, uh, Dr. Strawn, let me ask you, um, in terms of the issues that might have been at the forefront of this election, uh, what 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 can you tell us? Uh, we know, of course, that all countries are affected by COVID-19. And I, I understand, of course, the economic situation in the Bahamas, uh, an economy driven by tourism like Antigua and Barbuda, uh, the economic situation was significant. But what were the issues at the Forefront of the of the election.
3: Well, you know, I think, given the power of prime ministers in our system, so much of the elections boil down to how people feel about the leadership um, of of the prime minister, the sitting prime minister. Um, As as my colleagues pointed out, it is a vote against, and has been a vote against. Um, since 2002, and that continues now. Um, and so, the issue, the the obviously the treatment and handling of Dorian, and the treatment and handling of COVID, and the what 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 is called the competent authority, the powers of the Prime Minister under the emergency, under emergency um, state of emergency, um, was. Warying to the population, rankled the population. Decisions seemed capricious, and and um, and people just grew tired of the restrictions. And they and they, he was the lightning rod. Uh, former Prime Minister Hubert Minnis was the was the was the person out front, and the, and the one ultimately uh, signing those orders and delivering them. So and so obviously you know there's great pressure uh under this under this this crisis for businesses and employment and and access to goods and services etc and i just think that um in the beginning it was clear that we were in lockstep lock lockstep with other kind of Caribbean com- countries in terms of our our measures but as this pandemic wore on um it was hard to consensus really became impossible um and the vaccine hesitancy um, exacerbated all of this, and so I think the personality, leadership style, of the, of, the, of the of the of the of the prime minister was a big deal, as it has been uh, in previous elections. Whether you're talking about uh, former prime minister Ingram is too dictatorial and uh, you know uh, too too authoritarian, whether you're talking about Former Prime Minister Perry Christie is, uh, is, not, is not decisive enough, is too tolerant, there's not enough discipline under him. We, we, we see that narrative really rising. And though there are so many people around the table who make decisions and so many people responsible for policy, um, it, the, the nature of our party politics uh, really the buck stops with the leader. And, and so often they would have it that way. They want it that way. And they set up their campaigns as a clear choice between my leadership and the other guys and and that that usually hurts the incompetent it certainly has for the last quarter century and
0: just to remind our listeners you you've been hearing references to dorian uh, hurricane dorian impacted uh the bahamas uh believe it if i'm not incorrect in 2019 correct guys yes, yes that's great. devastating yeah. hurricane yeah. that had a, a severe impacts on the bahamas um and of course a uh, covid 19 then uh, swiftly came uh within uh, the next year within the months um uh, coming back to you, Mr. Matthew Aubrey, uh, picking up on the issue of leadership, do you agree uh, with that point, that um, this issue of leadership?
1: I, I think it absolutely plays out, um, but I think this is in some ways a, sim- a symptom of long-term governance issues. Um, I think this speaks to the divide between the citizen and government. Um, by and large, the message from both of the parties are uh, you know, we have the keys to to get us out of this, and it ties in so strictly and strongly to the for The representation of the leader. One thing that I'm, I'm, I'm I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time looking at is the fact that we historically have incredibly high voter turnout percentage. Uh, it was 90s for for probably four years, and then it dropped to 88 percent in our last election. And although the the, the data is not uh, official at this point, it looks likely that that 30 uh, percent uh, or um, over 30 uh, percent. Uh, uh, less less people came out, or somewhere you know between twenty five to thirty percent, and and the, when you look in the Caribbean, although that does that does line up with um some trend that you see in in the Car- in the Caribbean around elections with 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 you know a pretty pretty regular declines related to COVID, and and our conditions here. Uh, related to COVID and safety at the polls was definitely a factor. There was a significant uh, group that that seems to be emerging and talking about the fact that they didn't vote and they didn't vote quite deliberately. Uh, that they didn't find uh, they didn't find something within either party that that spoke to their needs or their interests. And and I think that's where we're coming to is that is that the tendency to flip flop from one administration to the other. Uh, And then now this second trend of having an overwhelming majority uh, win. So, you know, the, the PLP uh, took, uh, took 30, I think 32 seats and the FNM, which was the governing party took nine seats in this instance. And, and that, again, that, that that reflects something that that we're going to have to address and we're going to have to look at. And, and so I think that. The the, the st- standing issues of of challenging e- economic circumstances, more uh, like a greater a greater polarity from those that have to those that don't have um, public health issues. Uh, these are all pervasive, but but for these types of same circumstances to have happened, there's definitely some segment that that is is not showing up or not finding their solution in in the in the, the traditional. Uh, kind of partisan models, and I think we have to figure out how to reconcile that in, in, in the coming years. Mm.
0: And Mr. Ian Bethel-Bennett, um, on that issue of uh, those persons who didn't turn out to vote on this occasion, would you, would you put that up to the uh, safety, COVID, not wanting to leave one's home, not wanting to really uh, take part in the process, not seeing it as worth it, um, and what do you think about the, uh, the comment of Mr. Aubrey in terms of uh, persons who are just not satisfied with either option?
2: I have to agree completely with Mr. Aubrey, because, yes, your people came out to vote. The advance vote the week or the advance poll the week before was an absolute disaster. And that discouraged a lot of people in many ways. So in in my area, a lot of people refused to go back to the polls. after They had tried to vote in the advance poll because it was just such a mess. And these are older people in their 80s with underlying health conditions and they did not want to be compromised but the the poll itself was better organized than the advanced poll and the other thing like you like everybody has been saying is that the leadership or the leaders of the parties are less appealing to a newer generation of people because the same people have been around for so long that they've become tarnished with backstories that we don't necessarily articulate at the moment of the election, but everybody becomes jaded by the experiences with these particular candidates. So that was a a major player in a lot of younger voters not really wanting to vote, and even some older voters who were concerned with having a leader that really was more responsive to the needs of the country, not so much to the needs of a small group of people. So I think that is key and how we convince voters or how we demonstrate to voters that leadership is about including their voices is going to be pivotal in in moving forward. Otherwise, we will continue to see this swing back and forth. At least this time, there were more seats held by the opposition than over last time. So there's a little bit of, of development there, but I think that there has to be much more work done on the ground prior to the election, like with, within coming into power to create a much more symbiotic relationship and not such a an antagonistic one as could be experienced by some voters. So. Mm. Uh,
0: Dr. Strong, um, d- are you concerned about that phenomenon of, of persons not voting? I mean, um, uh, I don't know, almost in a form of protest. You know, uh, we are not satisfied <laughs> with either of them.
3: It's funny you should ask me that question. Um, I have been involved in a Protests that was actually advocating spoiling the ballot in the 2017 election. Not that I was telling people not to vote at all. If you didn't, if you couldn't find um, a, a grouping that reflected uh, what you believed in and what you thought should be the priorities that you ought to engage, but actually register a vote and engage in a way that actually visibly demonstrated your 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 disapproval. Um, not the case this time I, I I didn't advocate that this time but so I, I I I am one of those people who has who has certainly been advocating for for a need for for democratic reform um, greater transparency in the process greater democratization greater involvement of women and some of that is some of that is translated into political platforms, uh, there were certain things integrated into the Afghanistan platform in 2017, which suggested they were listening to to some of those criticisms, but they didn't actually act on any of it. I don't give as much credit as my colleagues do to that will to protest, although I think it is a protest, ultimately, that people stayed away, um, but I don't know that it's because they necessarily couldn't make up their minds who they would support. Or they could find no one to support. I think it really was about the climate of uncertainty and, quite frankly, even chaos. Uh, you know, Dr. Ian Bethel rather talked about the advanced poll. But there's another very important thing that happened. The, the prime minister, this, the sitting the, the government decided that people who were in mandatory quarantine because they, they had had exposure to COVID would be allowed to come to the polls and vote. That was a kiss of death for a lot of people, on top of the mess that was the advance poll. And so um, I think that that there... And I think on top of that, as I said, there had been rumors for a long time that we would have this snap election, and the prime minister came to make national addresses a few times, and people kept expecting this announcement, and it never came. And so I think there was also a level of, 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 uh, of uh, frustration with that. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard to measure where people land. You'd have to do more surveying. Um, certainly, I think the, the disenchantment is growing. You can see that in the number of of uh, splinter parties, additional parties, independents, and so on that were offering. That there is this this feeling. Um, but I actually don't think I actually think if you had gotten eighty percent people to come to vote, the PLP would still have won. I, I don't think the trend would have changed all that much. I could be wrong, but that's, that's, that's my reading on it. I think this is largely about that, and I, th- and I think that part of the reason that we, we saw this SNAP election is um, discord within the, the free national movement. Uh, they didn't enter this election, from what I hear and what I understand, unified. Um, there was growing discontent with Dr. Minis' leadership, and so he will face further challenges and, uh, in his attempt to remain leader of the opposition.
0: Uh, um mr matthew aubrey uh, I'm, I'm curious as to what the incoming administration would have uh, made its platform what, what exactly are its goals that it has publicly announced and, and and as compared to that what do you think the bahamian people are looking for from a new government
1: well i i think that's i think it's interesting um it's also it's also quite uh quite uh i think uh coincidental that you would have both uh, Dr. Strawn and Dr. Uh, Bethel Bennett, because they both have put together ongoing forums uh, to facilitate more civic dialogue about the issues. Um, there was a uh, in the in the in the 2017 election, there was a, uh, a debate series that was driven uh, through the university and and through uh, uh, Dr. Strawn's efforts to try and create more more uh, ongoing dialogue. Um, we also had a, a a similar effort in around policy, excuse me, and we also had a similar effort in in this instance and in both times, what happened is the overwhelming partisan approach to to rallies and emotional uh, speeches instead of issues that allowed for dialogue around not only just the promises that ended up in the manifestos, but the plans behind those promises so that folks could discern whether they were reasonable. I think uh, it, both times were somewhat sabotaged through that process because it, at the end of the day, as it got closer to election, emotion prevailed and it became more about the partisan. So we saw you know, incredible uh, 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 politicking in our communities, even in times of COVID and lots of placards and, uh, signs. And when they did release their, their manifestos, there was not a lot of time to really absorb it. But we did look back and forth at, at both of them. And what was interesting is in the last, uh, in the last election, the governing party, which would have been the PLP, uh, had a number of pieces in place, but didn't mention anything about the issues of, say, corruption, uh, or, or, or movements to make a, a more, a more con- consultative uh, role in governance. This time, it was it was very much in their in their dialogue. Whereas the uh, then op- opposition party of the FNM in 2017 had uh, transparency and anti-corruption uh, and citizen engagement it, it, it steeped into their manifesto, but this time, very little mention of that. Um, and, and it may again be as as, uh, as dr. Uh, Strance spoke to that when you're in that position of opposition you need to kind of make connection and speak to uh, the needs of the, of the citizen that's that's the time you're most receptive to it our our, our, uh, our goal at this point from civil society perspective and my organization and and others in both academia and civil society uh, is going to be how do we make sure that these issues get front-loaded because in the last administration many of them not all of them but many of them really were put on the back burner and never got uh, a chance to really come out and be uh, developed so, so uh, there was reference in the first 100 days in the PLP's uh, blueprint to pass anti-corruption legislation now, we all know that you could pass some anti-corruption legislation that doesn't really have teeth. So our goal is how do we ensure that the citizenry is on top of this and puts forward this as a key priority so that it does reflect significant movement forward so that we can reduce the instance, as well as the perception of corruption that, that, that leads to not only wastage, lack of effectiveness and efficiency, but also uh, lack of competitiveness on a local and an international scale.
0: Um, uh, Dr. Ian Bethel-Bennett, in terms of what the the new government is promising and what the people expect of it, what do you say?
2: Um, Wow. It's, they're not promising a whole lot that's any different, unfortunately. It's, um, I think, in my perspective, being in my community, it's been a lot people are upset by the lack of response to dorian or the the poor response to dorian that has led to the drag into covid and the you know the almost collapse of the public health system these are issues that are coming up in all our community discussions and the government as mr aubrey says has to really front load these, but it won't do so without encouragement from the community. So basically, people who were hit by Dorian may still not have homes. And the disinformation and the misinformation that comes with that or that came with that from the last administration has to be unpacked and changed. And we hope that this government can do that. At the same time, we hope that this government will address the serious dysfunctions within the public health system that have that mean that the hospital is unable to meet the needs of a growing population and not just blaming the population for being um, unwillingly, unwilling to be led or uncivil, and so there's a discourse that that has to shift, and I think Dr. Strong talks about that a little bit, but in Abaco, for sure, the shift was radical, hoping that there would be some difference, just be based on that Dorian experience, and then that was compounded by the COVID experience, Mm -hmm. so within the wider context of the bahamas we many people are still being treated as they were treated under colonial rules or colonial regulations which means that the center grabs a lot of the wealth of the government and the focus of the government while the outer islands remain pretty much disenfranchised and the 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 attempt in abaco was to get that to shift so that Abaco could actually benefit from much more of its investment in the Bahamas because it brings in so much of the money, or oh, so much money, but does, gets very little of it. I hope that answers your
0: question. Indeed. I would ask you very quickly, um, um, Dr. Bethel Bennett, I, I saw a story uh, earlier, I think it was around September 1, I just pulled it up on my phone, that said um, there were more than 55 millionaires running in Barbados's, not Barbados's, the Bahamas election. Uh, is, that, is that a thing? Is that it uh, based on based on the um the the public reporting in terms of a persons um financial statements and so on uh, i saw that on the jamaica gleaner is is it, is it a thing in the bahamas that uh, candidates tend to be well established and um wealthy um
2: okay so there are a few candidates who are well established and there are others who are coming in without that that whole backing so a lot of the millionaires are there are running but more of the millionaires stay out of that sort of melee because it's it's a much more private group. But yes, there are quite a number of millionaires running, but the younger candidates are not from that same oak. And the, the disparities are alarming to a lot of people within the communities, though they hope that they can get some of the benefit from people who actually... Can lend them tangible support Mm. in Um, a lot of ways, uh, and uh, that—that's another key.
0: And one more thing, very Um, quickly—is it just to verify? Because that's what I understood from the Gleaner story. It's a thing in the Bahamas that um, the financial, uh, well, some level of financial information from your public officials is 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 made public for reasons of transparency.
2: It is supposed to be a thing. Uh, Many politicians drag their feet on it, and and the. This information tends to be very rampant, but yeah, there's supposed to be a reporting mechanism that is very weak because I'm not sure that many of the politicians who did not disclose were actually penalized for not disclosing mm.
0: well i'm surprised I'm, I'm actually shocked that there's actually some level of disclosure i mean but we, we don't enjoy that but it was
1: it was an issue for sorry it was an issue for a long time yes and yeah. even to the point that they had identified that so many uh politicians were out of compliance for decades <laughs> that even uh what, one of our prior uh prior prime ministers kind of didn't just threw his hands up and said, you know, if if, if we forced this, everybody would be out. So they did start to follow to some degree the level of disclosure in the last number of years. This last term identified it. But the information as it currently stands is still kept under kind of dark levels and, and open to political monitoring. So part of the legislation that was put forward in 2017 was an integrity commission uh, Act, which would establish an independent body not only to receive and vet instances of corruption, but also to take over the monitoring and management of public disclosure. Um, one thing that I think is critical to note, though, is that currently the role of an MP is is, is kind of disharmonious with the level of its compensation. It's seen as, a, you know, in one instance, it's seen as a part-time position with a salary of 24000 so that only means that either people who have a lot of discretionary resources, and this won't be an instance that will deter their professional development, uh, can take it, or those that this would be a salary upgrade or a salary horizontal. Hmm. So you kind of cut out a lot of levels of of functional participation, and then and then what it now what the environment with no campaign finance uh, real laws. It, the amount of money that is required to be elected in, in a very you know emotional high uh, high profile type of, of effort uh, again lends itself that those that have the most are going to find themselves in in, in, a, in a position to serve okay. uh, and and i think i think that's something we have to look at
0: let me let me bring back in uh, dr strong dr strong um we are we have come down to the the end of this segment we could have gone on and i do apologize again that we started a little late um but i I want to give you the opportunity to give us the final word of course um i was on a i was on a a a string of questions to do with what there is for the new government to deal with and what the people are expecting of them
3: yeah um uh, so thank you for including me and i these are two people i admire so i'm enjoying. This conversation I would just say that quite simply it boils down to managing the crises that we are currently at. and so um, the expectation of this public is that the Progressive Liberal Party finds a way to compassionately and intelligently um, bring us greater public health safety um, mobilize and convince more of the population to to vaccinate care for 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 those who are the most vulnerable in in, in this in this in this situation and um, do do all do that while 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 managing a very fragile economy right so 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 it's 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 always about jobs it still is about jobs um, but 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 it's also in this in this case how do you how you bring a uh, uh, a country that doesn't to be honest have much of a history of being terribly disciplined um, get get this, this this particular side society to to follow the protocols that are absolutely necessary but knowing the difference between what is what is an overreaction and what is actually absolutely necessary those that type of judgment that type of emotional intelligence they're gonna have to demonstrate um and 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 quite frankly we are in a serious place fiscally and um there are going to be some unpleasant bad tasting jagged pills I, i i suspect we as a population will have to swallow but are we ready as a nation, to be more progressive in terms of taxation, and, or are we going to continue the unfortunate trend that we've had of, of, of requiring those with the least to bear the most of the burden for keeping the business, the offices of government open? These are the, these are the things that, that they are going to have to face, and we vote people out every five years because the promise, the, the promises are so high, and the delivery can never match the, the promises made. And and will they fall into that trap again? I, I guess we we'll, we'll see.
0: Well, with that, we can end it here. I say thank you to all three of our guests who joined us this afternoon. Mr. Matthew Aubrey, uh, Executive Director of the Organization for Responsible Governance in the Bahamas, uh, Dr. Ian Bethel Bennett, uh, Associate Professor at the University of the Bahamas, and also Dr. Ian Strawn, uh, Campus President, uh, the University of the Bahamas North. Uh, he's also, of course, a novelist, a poet, and a playwright. Uh, thanks to all three of you gentlemen for joining us this afternoon. Thank you.